Hello, and welcome to a brand new podcast. This is called Team Talk with me, Luke Kavanagh. And Seven Sports' very own Ryan Butler. Ryan, how are you? I'm all good, mate. How are you? This is exciting, isn't it? It is, mate. Yeah. A new, a brand new podcast, me and you. Um, mate, how, 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 how did we get here? Well, you've been itching to do this for a while, to be fair, mate. Yeah, I have, mate. I did. You had a while back. Yeah, yeah. So I thought we'd sort of maybe start on 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 sort of how that came apart. So I guess yeah, it was it was sort of um, me wanting to do something. Lockdown is obviously you know done exactly that, hasn't it? Locked us down and, and probably made us a bit more aware of being online and and, and interacting, not face to face. And um, yeah, what what better way to do it than than just sort of talk online with your mate, really? Yeah, it's always good to open up as well. I think that's something that. I've probably learned over the last sort of twelve months, really, and you know everyone's sort of trying to be a bit more transparent with what they're doing, which is good because it brings everyone together. Yeah, mate. So your experience probably um, is a, is a little bit more wider than mine because you, you've done obviously quite a few bits and bobs with, with Seven Sport, haven't you? How, how have you found um, you know doing the podcast and things like that, and sort of Butty's breakfast and, and everything like that? Uh, tough to be fair because when it first sort of started um, the whole lockdown, it was kind of like, you know, what do we do here? We had games lined up. We had content of Gloucester football to, to keep us busy for what would have been a, a couple of months after that. But there was a void. A void yeah. that sort of left me sort of sat there scratching my head thinking, I need to try and do something not just to tick me over, but to also keep Seven Sport out there, really. I had a couple of messages sort of saying, you know, people were looking to us to you know, provide something. So there was a bit of a... Let's go back to the drawing board and, and try and get round it. So I ended up doing that with like in the spotlight interviews that obviously I did back well, back before this time last year really I started doing those and they were something that you know, it brought people together because it allowed yeah. them to, you know, listen and interact and sort of then start telling stories about um times gone past and it was an education for me because obviously I I only lived in Gloucester since 2015, so anything before that, I don't really know what happened. How did it sort of impact your life? Because you've got a young family, um, you know, with work as well. How did it? How did it? Yeah. I've got to be honest. Um, lockdown for me, I have to say, was a good thing. Um, and I know, you know, it's probably going to be the polar opposite to, to you, really. Um, I'm, you know, as you mentioned, obviously I've got I've got quite a young family, but as, you know, aside of that, um, I'm quite sort of proactive and busy in terms of work. Um, I've got sort of you know more than sort of one main job really that I did at the time, so we're trying to sort of juggle a few things. Um, and, and when lockdown hit, kind of like you know all all of the extra bits that I used to do, similar to probably everything else, just stopped overnight really. Um, you know, I run sort of fitness classes; those stopped. Um, you know, I used to obviously um, spend a bit of time, you know, a bit of extra time at the gym. Those stopped. Um, you know, football training. Obviously, I was playing for Long Levens at the time, so you know that'd be sort of t- in two or three games a week. Sometimes that stopped. Yeah. Um, I kind of find it a bit of a relief, to be honest with you, mate, because it was a bit like, oh right, okay, so you know, those things aren't going on um, now um, for however long. So it, it sort of gave me a chance to go right. I sort of go to work, come home. Um, and, and, you know, sort of spend time with family and, and it, life became a little bit more simple, really. I mean, I've said to people that other than actually getting out and going to games, yeah. the hard work didn't change too much. Yeah. 
People yeah. still need a current chill, even if yeah. they weren't able to out or were doing reduced mileage, that kind of thing. So yeah. our office has always been open with you know, limited capacity. And they sort of said from from day one, you know, what do you want to do? And I've made it clear, you know, I live on my own. But before of uh, you know, being in the flat twenty four seven, which is what it would have been anywhere else, remember. Yeah. So, Unless I was going to work, I could or going to the shop, I was not going to be leaving this flat. And I yeah. thought, literally, no way I will survive if I do that. For like presence of mind and, and or the mentality I was in, and even to some extent, I'm still in that now. That would have been no good for me at all. And I've, you know, I've got to thank my employer really for being so, for being so sort of understanding and saying, you know what, if Ryan wants to come to the office, you know, he's still happy to get the bus wearing his mask on the bus, you know, taking the precautions and stuff like that, then, you know, we're, we're happy for that to happen. It is an option that they have. And, yeah, I get that. You know, bus etiquette, if people don't follow bus etiquette, that winds me up. Yeah, I was getting yeah. Up and there would only be, other than driver, four of us on it every day. So I could sit on my own, have my music in, or, or if one of my, my colleagues was in as well, I'd get the bus with her. And I'll be honest, other than not going to actual games, that first, what was it, five, six months of lockdown was unreal because I just had that sense of normality that I didn't feel like I was being affected like I had seen some people be affected, which, you know, looking back on it, was almost a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, do you know what? I sort of couldn't agree more, really, with the fact of uh, whenever someone's asked me about kind of how's lockdown, you know, how's lockdown affecting you? And I, I would always say, like, I'm actually one of the lucky ones because I get to go to yeah. work. Um, I think, like, with you, mate, if, if I was sort of one of those that couldn't go to work or ended up working from home, so you kind of bring your desk home and everything like that, I think it would have just destroyed me. You know, I, I obviously work in a public sector. I'm a firefighter. Um, so do you know what I mean? Like similar to kind of you, you know, our, our, our job hasn't really changed um, a great deal. Our shifts are still the same. Um, you know, we still go to work. And, and, and that's that's been a massive, massive godsend um, because it gets you out and, you know, it gives you that sense of normality. But that's yeah. The, thing, the sense of normality is, is you know, something that, that I've clung to. Not yeah. Really, to be honest, they were quite... Very early on, they were quite on their toes. Right, we need to get everyone working at home as soon as possible. They sort of realised, you know, the office is there, you know, a few people in, scattered around, and they can do it in a safe environment. Yeah. You know, I always said, look, if you want me to work from home and, you know, have a health and safety risk assessment or whatever for my posture, my back or whatever, then you're going to have to install a desk in my mm. house. Yeah. Because I don't, ha- I don't own a desk. There's no need have one so i worked from home for about two three days i think um, yeah i had covid in november and i just thought if i was doing that every day that would be ridiculous i sort of had the viewpoint of as long as you get yourself set up so that in a worst case scenario you can go on your laptop and you can load the the system that we all access to get on our, our, our stuff to work then that's that that's what they want as long as I had that capability, so for whatever reason, if they had to close the building or whatever, then for a short period, I would be okay. Just sit at home, get on with my work and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, my employer's been pretty good. We haven't even had to furlough it. As a company, Aegis Insurance have been 
you know, very, very good at sort of keeping everyone in, keeping everyone um, sort of at my level employed, keeping them, you know, busy, making sure the income's still coming in. Um, and yeah, they've handled it pretty well, to be honest. Like for me, when I was, I think it was the third or second slash third lockdown, I sort of decided that I was going to do, you know, one of these kind of mental health challenges. And I sort of decided 5k a day, you know, running with or running, walking. Um, and I was quite active on my social media about it. And, and the biggest kind of thing that a lot of people said regarding their mental health is that they, you know, they really looked forward for if they were working from home all the time. Um, they looked forward to going into the office and just getting away from it, if you see what I mean. And you kind of... We've got a decent community almost. Yeah. 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 Probably about this sort of time, from about May last year, um, it's only ever been the four of us. And, you know, me and, and, and one of the, the girls, she, you know, we've been friends for about five years because we were in the same training pod when we first joined the company. Um, so I've always been friends. Um, but with the other two, you know, as a, a group of four, you know, we're, we're like one little family now. And, and you, if I said 12 months ago to myself, you know, you're going to be like best friends with, with these two, I'd have been like, I don't know. But, I mean, not to say I wasn't like pleasant with them or anything like that, but, you know, we were never like constantly seeing each other, constantly talking, interacting. Yeah. And over the course of the, the, the 12 months, you know, I couldn't imagine going into work tomorrow, for example, and never them not being there yeah yeah quite good mm. and also like being back sort of out covering football well it's, it's just exciting you know coincidentally sort of today when, when we're recording this I've just finished the, the write up for the team of the month ready for yeah. tomorrow yeah and you know the realisation that we did 13 games in April yeah it's been it's, it's been a busy time isn't it and realistically we probably could have done more if mm. um hard and break down and, and you know for about a week or so we were quite limited on where we could go so we probably missed out on a couple of more games there we could have done 15 16 maybe 17 yeah um, 13 games after a three-month playoff it, you know just it's solace it just provides you a bit of solace that you know the end is near almost you know we are getting to the end of it you know normality is coming frustration for me is something that you know will divide everybody everyone has their own take and opinion on what's safe at this point what you know, you know what the guidelines should be you know whether everyone should get vaccinated that kind of thing but for me you know for example you know as much as i do when you go to long level you're never going to get hundreds even you know you'd be lucky sometimes to get eight 100 really yeah yeah so thought that you know me and kelsey are the only two sat in a stand maybe with a couple of parents or whatever and people can't come and watch but yeah I'm putting on BBC2 right now and there's a thousand people sat in a room watching snooker that's what's frustrating for me because whilst I'm lucky enough to be able to be in a position to go and watch games there are people who probably need it more than I do um, mentally and they're yeah, because it's a good point because obviously, you know, what, what you and Kelsey do for, you know, for Gloucester football within seven sport is, is massive. Um, but then I sort of, I, I often have a think of, um, you know, like ground hoppers. We see them, don't we, sort of active online and, and, and come into games and stuff like that. And, and that's like, in a way, that's like their seven sport, isn't it? Like go into a different ground, 
doing a YouTube sort of clip on it or whatever it be. And yeah, I guess kind of at the minute, those people are probably missing out massively, aren't they? Because they actually can't access grounds because of this, you know, no van policy. Um, so kind of long may, uh, you know, the the time where they that they can come back into games, can't they, I guess? Yeah, I mean, not just the fans, but just the clubs as well. You know, because you're going to see clubs that are going to struggle for you know, the next year or so. Um, if they you know, can't get fans or a limit on how many fans can, can come in the gate. So next season will be a massive one because based on the, the roadmap at the moment, you know, in June the, the restrictions end. If that does go through, then clubs will then start being able to you know, profit again. And when, when sort of clubs at National League level are sort of dying out, a couple of them are having to like, you know, withdraw from the league or Dover, for example, had their season expunged. You know, could anything could happen there? You know, it's a scary time if you're running a football club. And yeah, I think the fact that there's light at the end of the tunnel now, I think gives people hope. And I think that's something that 12 months ago people probably started to lose a bit. Of. The first topic this week is mine, and and what I want to talk about is is like how um, sport and probably what we'll end up talking about is football and how how that's impacted on our lives. Um, you know, more more recently than, than anything, we've um, we've kind of obviously had to endure the the European Super League, haven't we? And and the tales of that. Um, obviously, only yesterday we saw you know one of the most um, you know the, or the you know, the the biggest sort of game in English football, in my opinion, cancelled because of protests um, outside outside of, and inside of Old Trafford, and, and 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 kind of you know we, we've probably heard to death, haven't we, about um, you know how you know it is wrong the amount of money that they want to make and everything like that. But what I really wanted to kind of talk about, um, and I hand it to you to start really, Ryan, is is like the actual the the, the impact of um, you know a European you know foot, you know European um, Super League and and you know the the concept of it really morally rather than obviously um, the financial side and and what your thoughts are on that really. Well, I think. Looking at it from a moral perspective, unfortunately, the moral of what they want to do is money-driven. Um, you know, I, I see sort of tweets on on social media and messages, people giving their opinion, and and for me, I can understand why the European Super League is something that has been deep at the plate or tried to. Um, the Champions League revamp that UEFA put through, I don't really like it. Remember when Sky bought the rights? You know, started the Premier League. So what's the difference between that and, and obviously the European Super League, really? In a sense, like that. But the, the difference being, you know, just turn around and say 15 clubs are going to start it. And no matter what happens, because they started it, they're not going to be kicked out of it. That thing, I think, is where suddenly we've got to look at it and say, well, that's not fair. Football needs to be fair give everyone equal opportunities as they possibly know. Some clubs can have more money than others. But at the end of the day, we in this country have seen the likes of Leicester City win the Champions League. Yeah. They could do that really because the clubs will be making X amount of money every single year. And if they're still playing their domestic league, they would just finish as the top six, for example, in England. Because yeah. They have that being carrot. It's not fair that you know, that's never going to be taken away from them. That control will give those 15 clubs 
more control than any other club in this world. And that is something that should not be happening. Yeah, and I, to be honest with you, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you, you mentioned it just earlier that, um, you know, sort of, it, it, I think it's that fairness of competition, isn't it? You know, you mentioned Leicester City have, have won the Premier League. Um, you know, back in 95, Blackburn won the Premier League, you know, didn't they? And that was kind of, uh, you know, that was the first real time where there wasn't a big side, Man United, um, you know, Leeds, Liverpool, Arsenal are right there. Um, and, and I sat down and thought, I think football is realistically in our country at the minute is, is probably the only sport at the minute. And, you know, and, and you look at the likes of kind of rugby union, um, rugby league, netball, cricket, you know, the, the sort of, you know, the sports that you see on the TV all of the time that realistically any, it's anyone's game, isn't it? Um, you know, you watch a Premier League game and it's Burnley v Man City and, you know, you, you know where your money's going, but they got an equal chance to win um, as anyone else. But then at the same time, you know, you, you know, you get sort of like, a, you know, a, you know, clubs um, like Bournemouth that have made it into the Premier League. Um, um, and, and then the opposite way, you know, you look at like, I was listening to the radio yesterday, someone like Derby and the Wayne Rooney, they could end up in League One next year. Um, and I think that's a bit of the game, isn't it? And I think with, with, with a European Super League, it, it kind of, sanitizes everything doesn't it um you know take away the kind of money aspect from that perspective yeah i can see why clubs are going into it i can see why sort of you know the likes of man united liverpool the big sides are saying yeah we're going to go for it because i think you know based on yesterday's um protests it's, it's not going to make a blind bit of difference isn't it part of me wants realistically a European Super League to go through because I think that if that goes through I genuinely think the lower levels in you know in inverted commas respectively the lower levels championship and down we'll just see a massive surge of fans that have gone you know right you know this is it's now gone you know too far and I personally think it's gone too far already um you know this summer you're probably likely to see someone like Harry Kane move clubs you know, and, and that fee is going to be in excess of 150 million, isn't it? Um, which, you know, no one's going to bat an eyelid. Um, you know, they're paying that amount for, for that player. Um, exactly. You know, and, and no, no, nobody knew the fee or the total fee that what Neymar left, if you see what I mean. That was talked, wasn't it? Around kind of 200, 300 million pounds. Um, you know, if Messi, just, you know, eventually decided that he's obviously. Staying, but if he was going to go, you know that that would be close to that. So I think the money point is is already ridiculous. Um, um, killed, well, started the sort of demise of, of elite football is the age, well agency the massive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was the sort of talks that um, Holland's uh, agent was going around to around to Barcelona, around to chat to them, and started the sort of negotiating make everyone else get on edge with the car for that as well. But there was like a breakdown of what the actual payment would be. And it's like thirty million to the agent. Yeah. Um, yeah. twenty million in wages to Holland. But then for some reason ten million pounds to um Alf Ingerhorland for for brokering. Mm, yeah. What? You're paying forty million pounds in agent and parents fees, then you've got to stump up sixty two million if it's a buyout clause next season. Yeah, which, 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 let's be honest, realistically, 
Yeah, yeah. And and let you know, like I said, let's be honest, ten, twelve years ago, forty million was a record signing, wasn't it? Um, you know, I remember Man United signed Rio Ferdinand for what, thirty two million, and it was like this is the best, you know, the biggest figure someone's ever paid for a defender. And now like thirty million is like oh yeah, it's it's you know, it's a cheap, cheap buy really. Um back then you weren't getting wasn't readily available the, the behind the scenes payment. Yeah. Really went on. You know, when Torres went to Chelsea for fifty million, his agent would have got a cut of that. But what we wouldn't have known as, as the public and as fans is what those payments were, what the sort of makeup of the the background payments would have been. But you know, it just seems to be something that's just broadcast now and I think that's what annoys people is that football is so money driven now. And part of that is down to TV rights and, and all that sort of thing. I mean, I tweeted the other day that, realistically thinking about it, I sort of come back to what I said earlier about, you know, sitting down watching Champions League football on ITV. You know, it's accessible for everybody. And, and on the back of the, the Super League announcement, you know, the Real Madrid uh, president, uh, Florentino Perez, he said that young people don't watch football anymore and they don't watch the, the elite sport anymore. And the reason that is is because of access. I think, for example, this year, with no fans in the stadium, you know, if you don't have a Sky or a BT subscription, the only other way to watch a game other than legally streaming it is, you know, the Amazon games, and you'll pay for it, and there's, what, three games on BBC. Yeah, yeah. We're charging 15 quid a game. Yeah, madness. You know, it's insane. When you yeah. know, I was a kid, you know, the Champions League final was 99. I remember watching it on ITV. And, yeah. You know, that season as a, a whole and even the season before that was when I probably got into football really yeah and, yeah you know I'm sat there thinking well if I didn't have that I probably wouldn't have got into football when I did we didn't have Sky growing up I probably didn't get we had NTL Digital in 2004 yeah continue long may more people that go and watch sort of um you know lower level non-league football long may that continue in my eyes because i think exactly what you just said it is closer to reality um and that you know i was saying earlier that in terms of people um that might watch premier league football yeah that's right yeah because it is so far away from reality and i think the game's changing isn't it we've had we've seen sort of var haven't we and that that impact and you know, and then you get talk about kind of like diving um, and all of that. And I just think, when does it now become, you know, anything different than just 11 against 11? And, you know, just that's that, if you see what I mean. And, and all right, yeah, it means a lot at lower level football. You get people playing in the VARs and, and things like that. That, that it's, it's massive for football clubs um, financially. But ultimately, week in, week out, it is literally just 
you know, 11 guys playing against 11 guys or girls, you know, however it be. Um, and, and, and that's that. Whereas I think the, the, the top flight is, I think it's just sanitized already um, to, to a degree where it's kind of, do you know what, you know, I've, I've followed probably similar to you was probably my kind of peak coming to, to Man United in terms of when, when you're following them, the 99 season where it was, you know, ITV Champions League and so far from that. Um, Whereas I'll still watch them now, but ultimately I think if they win or lose, you kind of like, do you know what, you know, because of the money aspect and everything like that, it's not, it's not a huge deal. Um, whereas I think people that, you know, tend to follow sort of lower league football clubs, they've got more of a, they've got more of an impact. And I think it does have a bit more of an impact on their life because it is, you know, the players are a bit more closer to reality than themselves, aren't they? The problem is as well is that with football nowadays and the society that we live in with social media and the internet as a whole, the information is so readily available for, you know, even details like what players earn. Um, you know, how many times do we look in the media or look on the papers or look in the headlines you know Daily Mail being one for example where you know they stipulate what the players get so you know a thousand hundred thousand pound a week footballer does this and everyone thinks oh he's overpaid he's this he's this you know back in the 90s and the early 2000s it was never I don't know it it just felt like I never really heard too much about what players were earning but now it seems to be what everyone focuses on. You know, it, it, it's become money-driven because of the way it's all reported and the fact that you know that information is so readily available. Yeah, yeah. It's something that people will resent other people for having money. You see people all the time saying, "Well, all he does is kick a ball around. He doesn't take that much." It's like, yeah, probably not. But at the same time, if you compare it to, to American sports or so even movie stars, the fact that it's such a money-making industry, you're always going to get wages like that, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a good point that you make there in terms of just other industries because, you know, I think footballers do get a bad rap to a degree, don't they, because they earn so much money. And, and you are right that, you know, they do earn a lot of money. But then, you know, you also look at other industries that everyone top of their industry does probably earn a similar amount. I listen to a few... few um, podcasts um and one of them i listen to is is um is tail enders uh, which is obviously a cricket cricket podcast and they talked about coley and like here like 62 million um in 2020 from cricket because obviously he plays all four sp- um, forms of the game including indian premier league you know and you look at that in terms of like what is close to footballers wages it's, it's the you know it it's ultimately the same isn't it um most rich sportsmen. Yeah. The highest paid footballer is usually Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Probably fifth, sixth in the league. Yeah, that's right. No, you are right. Yeah. And you're talking about, you know, the player that earns the most, including image rights and things like that. Yeah. So, an average top flight footballer, you know, probably wouldn't be too high on that list. Yeah. Because compared to other sports, and unfortunately, whether people like it or not, football is an entertainment business. Yeah. In everything, in entertainment, you know, you're going to get paid the dollar and the premium money because the big wire, like Anton Deck, makes what, 12 million a year mm. just to host a couple of shows? You know, is it really justified to get paid that sort of money to, to host a few TV shows a year or, or, or a series or, you know, whatever? No, 
is it like really compared to a realistic wage? Probably not. But people don't seem to to cry foul at that. I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you're spot on. But for, you know, for me, like I mentioned at the start of the topic, I think the biggest thing is the fact that that you know this this money driven and and taking away that kind of competitive edge is is hugely important and. Going on, going on, sort of like what we saw yesterday at Old Trafford. What, what are your thoughts on that? I've spoke to a few people um, that have asked me my thoughts, and and what I think I'll probably probably um, say the same as most. But I, I think I agree with, with with what they were doing yesterday. You know, I sat down looking at it and thinking, yes, you know, there was massive talk, wasn't there, about. Um, you know, some violence, some some scenes of um, you know ugliness. People chucking flares up at you know the gantry and beer cans and stuff like that. And you don't condone that at all. But ultimately, I think it's got to the point where I don't think it would have made a huge amount of difference. Like I said, I don't think you know it's not going to cause the glazers or anything like that, or Cronkia or anything like that to sell up and and think, oh, you know, we've maybe gone too far with this. But I ultimately think what the statement that gave in terms of fan power was was a big thing um how how it's gonna impact i fear that very little um but it was it was good to see that actually um you know these fans are going you know we're still here yes we're not allowed in the grounds etc etc but you know you need to be aware that you know they still have a certain amount of power to say that if we if we all sort of turn around tomorrow and 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 go and support or follow a different club, that I think that will have a big impact on on the Premier League itself. I think ultimately, you're right with what you're saying. I don't think it's going to have a, a, a big difference. You know, I don't think if the Glazers were just being being from Old Trafford, they would have mm. really thought, "Oh, God, we better sell." Mm. Um, from a, looking at the protesters and and the time and a bit, as you said at the top of the, the show here, that you know, Man United Liverpool isn't been the same as Premier League. Probably the biggest game in, in British football. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's 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 not the biggest. It's probably second to Rangers versus Celtic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really. Um, but for a global reach, you talk about everyone in all corners of the world will have an interest in Man United or Liverpool. And the timing of it was perfect to do it before that game because everyone would have been talking about it, and, and you know they have been talking about it, and probably will do for a couple of days yet because. The, the reaction is going to be what's interesting. Of course, in any sort of mass gathering like that, we've seen it in London, in Bristol, even closer to home up here. Um, you know, when league presence is there, there's always going to be some people that are, are there for, for an ulterior motive or just to get involved. So yeah. you do get the, the idiots that, that, that sort of ruin the message and blur the message and Fans can go into Old Trafford and watch Man United play. Invited, kids go. So that's when the owners would then look at that effectively profit. So Arsenal fans pay more money for any other club, I think, in the Premier League. What if they didn't buy them? What if they just turned around and buy their tickets? You know, they're not putting the money into the club, the money's not coming in from you know, ticket sales. Yeah, the, the, the teammates 
do that by not having the fans there. But the players can do that for our club, and so you know, if they start hitting them where you know, the owners will hurt and that is their pockets, then that's going to be what makes a difference. But ultimately, when someone owns the club, you can't exactly force them to sell. So, what what the government and what you know, the regulators would do is try to protect what we currently have. I think, right, yeah, I think. Uh, 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 I generally feel like the only way out of this is if the government take a stance to it. Um, it's obviously, you know, it's made a few ruffles, hasn't it, in Westminster and everything like that. But maybe kind of the only way to to do that is to say, yeah, you know, we are going to take this to government and and, and we need to kind of make it, you know, a, a, a massive issue so that, you know, that they, they sort of, they have some, um, some say and impact on it. My, my fear with like, you know, season tickets, you know, not being bought and stuff like that is that, you know, Old Trafford could sell probably three or four times over, couldn't it? I think you'd still have bums on seats, but it just wouldn't be the diehards that, you know, there would be. It would just be, you know, with respect, kind of prawn sandwich brigade fans that, you know, just go for a game and, and everything like that. And Who knows what's going to happen from here? I think, um, hopefully, uh, you know, it, it, I, I generally think hopefully there's more of these, um, and you know, fans from other clubs go, you know, this this has made a sort of little bit of a rough or less, you know, let's come together um, and do more, um, and you know, and, and try and force that change over. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of talk that this European Super League it's not gone away, has it? It's just been delayed. Um, you mentioned it earlier about the kind of you know the revamp of the Champions League in terms of more of a league format rather than sort of group stage and knockouts. Um, it, you know, it, it's a difficult time to, um, to to go ahead. But yeah, you know, I, I generally think if it was me, I would say yeah. You know, I, I would I would probably be tempted to turn my back on on that and and, and support non-league football a lot more than um, you know than than what it has been recently. I, I guess. I've talked about that point already. You know, yeah. I United play. On, on, I mean, I don't even really watch United play every week. I watch yeah. United play when I can or on a Thursday night if I haven't got a game, I'll put yeah. on or whatever. Yeah. Or, or, playing, or Saturday evening. But, you know, if they were on the early game on Saturday, I'm only ever watching the half of it. Mm. So then I'm going to get ready to go to the game. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I do miss more football now than I probably did when I was in uni, for example. You know, I know people through the, the non-league set-up and, and Neil Spiller at Tuffy Rovers is, is a prime example of someone who, you know, used to go to Old Trafford all the time, watching the eyes growing up and things like that, but then just became disengaged from it. Yeah. Um, this, now with everything that's going on here, it's kind of getting to the point where, you know, fans can start doing that again and people will, will stop, stop worrying about it and go into what Going to watch, you know, non-league football because, as you said, it's more real 
more real for them to see. And then you can't blame them. Definitely. Long may that continue. Topic two. Yeah, my topic for Spring of Youth is, is, is kind of as a friend, really. You know, we've known each other for, what is it, three years now, probably, probably. Yeah, I, I, I have to, um, you did a podcast um, that I listened to um, the other the the the, the other day um, through YouTube, and yeah, it, it, I think the the most interesting thing for me was was actually hearing about how it all started because yeah. you know the, the the sort of first I think you mentioned it on there the first really hearing that I heard of, of Seven Sport and and when you guys was when you came down to you know to Sawmills for the first time and I was thinking oh this is great because. Um, you know these guys are obviously covering covering us a, a lot more. Um, we've been obviously fortunate at Long Levens because you know you guys have, have um, you know you've taken a bit of a shine to, to Long Levens, which is brilliant in our eyes. Um, but well, just that. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think just for all of all of you know Gloucestershire football, it's been it's been a godsend really. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't realise it was that long. You know, t- time does fly. Um, and I think it was yeah three or four years ago um, that that you know was the, the sort of first time you guys came down and yeah yeah it did show on 7FM called the 7 Sports Show, 2 till 5 on a Saturday, if Gloucester were away or if they're at home, um, it would be our commentary. Uh, Matt would do a pre-recorded like, build-up show to go out 2 till 2.45 and then we would take over live from Wadden Road. And you know, we, at that point we picked a, a local side to, to support each, me, Matt and uh, Dan Guthridge, who oh, I went to university with, and he picked Long Levens. I pulled out of the hat, I got Twigs from Wandering. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, and, and, and sort of from there, that was sort of the first time I heard the, of Long Levens and, and what they were about. And then following that, we then obviously started the 7 4 properly, you know, occasionally doing games like Sirencester and Give Slimbridge versus Hereford, and started to get around the list of the Southern League. And then we just kept getting constant tweets, direct messages from James French. And it, it was just, you need to come to Long Leather. You need to come to Long Leather. That time was going to be a bit of fun. And there was a point where me and Matt were chatting up. Bloody Long Leather. You should just leave us alone. We hadn't thought about you know, which level we were at. And, and yeah, yeah. It's just ironic that now looking back on it, you know, I've openly been honest and said that you know, seven sport was a stop that you know I would just get involved with long levels as a club and and you know what what the club needs to me. Yeah, I mean coming back to sort of what my topic kind of revolves around is like we haven't discussed too much in regards to you know, what was you like growing up? What was what was it like around here? Obviously I know you played short with you from before that. Yeah. You know, what was it? Young Luke Cavanagh like? That's what I'm interested in. That's <laughs> Um, I think we, when we mentioned it, I said it was a bit of a thinker, didn't I? I have a sort of a thing, and 
I generally don't think I'm much different to to, to when I was younger, really. Um, I've sort of, um, I've always been kind of quite introverted. Um, there's a funny couple of stories, actually, that um, I'll probably regret telling, but I will tell them just for the sort of nature of what we're talking about. But I think, you know, I got into sort of football, local football, um, because I used to be kind of the, the, the young lad that, that went to football with my dad. Um, my dad was um, heavily involved in football when, when he was younger. Um, he was part of the management set up for Shortwood United Reserves. Um, so for years and years, it would literally just be a Saturday afternoon would be would be me and him, really. Um when I was younger, probably sort of 10, 11, it would just be kind of me going along with a football or, you know, borrowing one of the footballs from the, you know, the training balls from the side. Um, and I would, you know, th- there's a funny story. I, I sort of get on with quite a lot of my dad's friends um, from their football days. And they obviously recognise me from from when I used to come 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 to football with him. And they would obviously be playing playing the game. And then I would be kind of like playing on my own on the side of the pitch, really. And um, I had all these different teams in my head and I would be playing for this team and that team and everything like that. And it was almost like kind of my own little world of football. Um, I would commentate on the games as well as I was playing. And to be honest with you, from from the naked eye, not the naked eye, but anyway, I probably just looked like this kind of loony kid that would just kind of playing and talking to himself. Um, but for me, it was brilliant. Like for me, it was like a sort of, and I guess that's what football is to me. It's like, especially going to football and stuff like that. it's just like a, you know, just a, an escapism from 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 life really. That you would just go and and, and run around and kick a football and, and things like that. And my dad's got this kind of friend that he's still in touch with, and um, you know, I we speak to him quite a bit, and he he tells a story that he remembers one afternoon where he said to me, oh. I was walking off the pitch with my ball uh, in my hand and he said, how did you get on? And I said, oh, I lost one nil. And then he kind of turned around and was like, how has he lost one nil? He's playing on his own and he's lost one nil. Um, <laughs> and, and that was it. Like, But for me, it was like, you know, I'd have this kind of little setup in my head and things like that. Um, and I'm not sure, have you ever, have you ever like, foot, like Shortwood, have you ever been to Shortwood before Meadowbank? Meadow you haven't? Oh, mate, you should go, it's a treat. But like, you know, if you ever went there, you'd notice how difficult it was as a youngster trying to play football on the side of the pitch because there's, there's no room. It's a bit like playing at Saw Mills. Exactly, mate. Yeah, it's a tight pitch. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they, they scored and camps in. What can I say? But, you know what I mean? It's, it's like one of those where, you know, you, what, what you want is kind of like a big Longford Lane field where you've got loads of room and a pitch behind and, and you know, you're laughing. And that was always what I, you know, I think I remember like a running joke with my dad that I'd always be like, oh, are you playing a team with like a pitch on the side at the minute? And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, we are. And it'd be like a dream if they had like a, you know, like almost like a Tuffley Rovers had like a little pitch behind that with two goals in the net. And you'd be like, this is amazing because you know, it's like an actual pitch. So, yeah, that I guess like that was me probably from from sort of ten to um, I would say probably like sixteen maybe um, you know going along to football and um, I did sort of like have a bit more involvement when I was sort of in my kind of later teens sixteen seventeen um, they started up a youth team um, under eighteens which we were we were pretty successful um, I played for that for two years. They had the Gloucestershire County Youth League at the time. 
Um, and in the second year of that, we, we actually won the treble um, that, that year, which was the, the County Youth League. Um, so we had sides like Bishop's Cleave, Nuance, um, we had Forest Green, um, like under 18. So we, um, we, we won that, which was, which was a massive achievement. Um, we won our League Cup, which again is obviously just, you know, as it was a couple of months of the league. And then, um, probably where I sort of played against a few of the sort of local players really around um, where we actually beat uh, Gloucester City in the County Cup um, we beat them on penalties um, I can't remember what the penalties were but there was a lot of controversy around the penalties because um, we, I think we missed the, 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 the last two penalties of which it was saved by Dave Evans actually who's the goalkeeper for Gloucester that day um, but each time the ref kind of deemed that he'd come off his line to to save oh, and um, to VAR save time. them. Oh, my. Free VAR time for that. Yeah, that's it, mate. Yeah, stepped off his line, um, and each time the ref um, demanded the penalty to be retaken. Both times they scored, and that obviously happened. So the second time um, was was the winning penalty, really. Um, that yeah. So that was that was then. Um, Oh, you're testing me now. I can't remember, what it was, but I do remember that the sort of the, the Gloucester City side was. I think in in the side was you know Mark Pritchett, uh, Jamie Reed, um, Warren Evans, and Ken Blackburn were the managers then. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's right. And and it happened. So you know, it was lucky for us because obviously you know it, it gave us this you know the win really on penalties. I think. I remember going one nil up. Um, there was a lad that I played, you know, in midfield. I was a midfielder those days um, called Dan Price, um, and he was, in essence, it, it it was a bit like I would I would sort of um, I would say it was similar to kind of Roy Keane, poor goals. He was certainly poor goals. He had a lot of, you know, he was a really good player, and I was just kind of like just the engine that just ratted around and did all the running for him type thing. Um, and he was brilliant. He scored over a kick after about 20 minutes. And then I think just on the stroke of um, half-time, Andy Varnum scored for Gloucester City. It was one all, And then it stayed like that until penalties, really. Um, but yeah, you know, in, in those days, it was kind of like, a, um, you know, it was, yeah, we, we had a really good side. And, and a lot of the lads kind of, you know, pro- progressed to, to go and play for the first team at Shortwood. Um, a couple of them played in the um, the side that got to the um, the FA Cup first round. Um, James Singh was one of them. He was our kind of like key player really for for that side. Um, so yeah, that was that, that was then, and then it kind of progressed on really to to then sort of bouncing around um, sides really. I think I started playing for the sorry, go on. Finding yourself a new home. Yeah, that's it really. I think I I sort of. I, I always struggled after that point. My my, my biggest, um, my biggest, not fear, but my biggest pet peeve was what, what you know. A, after that point, I think um, I had a year sort of in the fringe of the first team and majority in the second team. Um, and then my dad sort of like gave up football because it was kind of not his time, but he just you know lost interest in it, yeah. which is fair enough. And sort of he left, and I, I always found like I was in his shadow. You know, whenever I went, it was kind of like, "How's your dad? What are your dad doing?" And I was really struggling for my own identity really at that club. Um, I moved to Hardwick. Um, and at that point, a lot of the of the players that had played for Gloucester because Warren Evans was manager at the time was at Hardwick. Um, and I look at that side and 
you know, from from the players that were playing for that side, it was unbelievable. Um, you had sort of, you know, Mark Pritchett again, Dave Evans, um, Shane Anson played for for that side. Um, Jamie, no, Jamie Reed kind of he sort of progressed to to, to Gloucester really. She was playing for Gloucester, the first team at Gloucester at that point. Um, Matt Sysom, you know, was playing as well, and you know Craig Beaton. Obviously, that was kind of where I met him really initially at Hardwick. Um, and I was, I was probably, I would, you know, be lying if I didn't sort of say I was more of a fringe player because of, you know, the the, the size that the players that they had really. Um, but we won the county league, and then they went on to win um, Hellenic one. But obviously, for the facilities, couldn't go up. Um, and then. I kind of had sort of, I think I had a couple of games at Gala Wilton, um, I say under my breath, because obviously ended up at Long Levens. Um, I injured my... It is. Yeah. I, 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 I might have to cut that out. I'll see, I'll see how we go. No, but no, but no, to be fair, like Gala were great. They had um, Jay Kelly as manager and he was, he was brilliant really. He's sort of, you know, he's really enthusiastic and, um, you know, it was just a good character around. I didn't play that many games, to be honest, because I got, I got injured after sort of two games. I sort of um, kind of dislocated my knee and that kept me out for a fair bit. So um, I was struggling from that that perspective. Um, and then... Yeah. Yeah, so um junior school, um I I was the well, so in junior school, year five and year six, um I had a teacher, um I, and I'm still in not in contact as such, but I still exchange the odd message with him on Facebook now. Um and his name's Dave Smith. And he was brilliant because he was the coach of the school football team. Um, and I was kind of obviously, you know, I played for the uh, Gloucester district side. It was kind of Gloucester primary schools that it's still, it's still going today. Um, and obviously, you know, you kind of get selected through, um, through, through your school. Um, and I remember kind of whenever we had a game after school, because it would be like a, you know, half three kickoff against another school. Yeah. Yeah, he would always give me a couple of hours off in the afternoon to go and put the nets up, um, and that was brilliant for me. And yeah, so like football was kind of, yeah, it was you know a forefront then really. Um, and then when I went into senior school, obviously you kind of go from I, I sort of almost felt like you know a big fish in a small pond at junior school because you're kind of like the yeah I play for the school and I also play for the district so. You know, you you know, you, you kind of think you're a bit of a baller, then, don't you? In terms of that aspect, we never. Had that. We never I, I can't Did... recall when I was at, at school anyone who was playing at you know any real level outside of yeah of the school. Really, I think the nearest we got was a couple of kids in the year above were in Reading Youth Academy. So I... there was a, a player uh, called Jamel Ford Smith. And he was like the golden goose, really. Everyone was tipping him to to break through. He was in the same uh, youth academy, in fact, as Harrison Bailey. So right. Okay. Yeah. Fat German. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was a couple of years above me, and you know, I can say that I played football with them. So I played football with Harrison Bailey back in the day as a kid. Shane yeah. Clark as well, who um, 
So yeah, yeah. Other than that, you know, there was never like you know playing at county level for Berkshire or anything like that. It was never really yeah. But do you not? Anyway. Do you not think because obviously I, I'd imagine like you know you know Gloucester as well as as well as me, but like you know it, it's it's relatively small in terms of you know Gloucester itself, but the Shire is relatively small and everything well, like that. So yeah, a bigger uh, pool. And, and yeah, Reading as a town itself probably wouldn't have got you know players coming from from schools like mine. Yeah, private schools in and around sort of out of Berkshire, um, High Wycombe. You know, even some players from Oxford would have come down because obviously of the the border being so close. Yeah. So you would have probably seen more of the county side growing up from from Berkshire, but being from wider than Reading, and you know there was never really Reading players playing for that team. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, and I, I'd imagine you'd have had a lot of stronger sort of players and everything like that as well, wouldn't you? From from that point of view, or was your kind yeah. of neighbouring counties always a bit stronger? Because we always find like for Gloucester schools, um, you know, we were probably slightly behind like Stroud schools. You know, we played them a couple of times and 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 lost. And then you go and play like Oxford, which is our neighbour, and again they would sort of you know be a lot bigger and sort of would bully us a little bit. So. Although, kind of in essence, you know, you're kind of good enough to get sort of towards that level for Gloucester when you go to your neighbouring counties, a bit further down south for Bristol as well and Avon, we'd struggle from that physicality point of view. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that's, that's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. A couple um, that I have gone forward that have gone on to play in sort of Reading under 18, but you know, they, they mainly now feature within and around London football because of how. Um, you know, the game's not there and it's just easier to, if you don't make it a, re- a Reddit, you've got sides uh, in on the environment, in Aidenhedge, in Maidenstone, yeah. you know, whatever, who are always, you know, at nationally-ish level. Mm. Um, but non-league football, for me as an individual, I mean, I didn't really watch a game of non-league football until I was probably 18 years. I knew about Boston City from that point, and the first... Uh, time I went and watched non-league game in and around Berkshire, I went and watched the town. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't something that was popular with, with me, really, before growing up at the time. Yeah, I, I, I remember going and watch Gloucester quite a few times at, at the old Meadow um, at the old Meadow Park. Um, where, you know, when I was younger, you kind of had that sort of like transition in time. Because when I, when I was really young, it was Gloucester-Cheltenham. Um and obviously, then I remember one of the um, one of the goalkeepers actually, when my dad was coaching at um, Shortwood, his name's Ryan Ganaway, actually got um, scouted to go and play for Cheltenham and, and played for Cheltenham against Gloucester City wow. um, at Meadow Park. Um, and I remember, I think um, Gloucester won four three, um, and the, the the goalkeeper in question, Ryan Ganaway, got lobbed, I think, for the for the fourth goal. Um, because we went to watch it with Gloucester, obviously as a Gloucester fan, but we were sort of half rooting for um, for for Ryan because he came from Shortwood. Um, but then I think Charlton went on through the leagues, and then a couple of years time, Forest Green came up, um, and that was obviously the years where you had kind of um, Alex Sykes playing for playing for Forest Green yeah, as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you know you kind of had those sort of you know the the, the kind of local derbies from that point of view. Um, 
and kind of like Gloucester tended to kind of stay where they were and you sort of lost Cheltenham and Forest Green to higher levels. Um, you know, and that's obviously hopefully, you know, where, where Gloucester, Gloucester are aspiring to go now. But it was great as, you know, as a young kid because you would go and watch those derbies and, you know, they had um, uh, the, the old lawn, um, which was a couple of hundred yards down from from the, the, the new, well, you know, not the new ground, but the ground that is there today. Um, and you know they would it would always be packed. Um, it you know it'd be two three thousand at the new lawn, and and when you went to sort of Gloucester City, it would be you know three four thousand at Meadow Park as well. And it was good. It was, you know, it was massively kind of, um, you know, important. And and when you went there, it was you know ultimately how what we were talking about not long ago. You kind of you know that they're, they're normal working class people, but you know, they're playing for Gloucester City, if you see what I mean. And, and, and you think, God, oh, these are these are professionals. But they're not in, in, in you know, retrospect, if, if that makes sense. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I completely hear what you mean. And, yeah. You know, he's even coming back from the, the present day and bringing them forward. Yeah. With, you know, Meadow Park now being reopened in, in Gloucester. Yeah. There's a feeling that the club will, you know, need to try and make up for lost time to keep that traditional element of, you know, bringing the youngsters through, giving uh, young people um, you know, good quality local football to watch in and around Gloucester. The X Factor, they obviously haven't had that element. From an outsider looking in, I've somewhere, you know, where it, it wasn't like that. And then how you described it and how, you know, big the, the non-league uh, environment was in, in, in Gloucester at the time and obviously Gloucester, Cheltenham and Forest Green and Sirencester were all sort of in the same uh, position. You know, I, I've never been really exposed to it being like that and, and there's generations of fans that live in Gloucester in particular that wouldn't have experienced that either. So they've kind of got to make up for lost time to, to, to bring it back to how it used to be. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I hope that is, you know, the point. And I certainly will be kind of one of those that um, when you are able to go down, you know, we'll, we'll start going down again. Um, you know, I know a lot of friends that I've played football with and, and obviously have retired for one reason or another, you know, have bought season tickets and everything like that. So, you know, I hope that it is well supported. And, and I think I thought, I remember seeing a stat ages ago, you're probably talking 10 years ago now, but um, at the time there was two, cl- you know, two clubs within their kind of res- retrospective cities that not to have a sort of top flight. I might have told you this before, and I keep telling it when everyone talks about it. And, you know, one of them was Hull City at the time, um, and the other was Gloucester City based on population. Um, and obviously Gloucester City still haven't had like a league side. When I say top flight, I not mean, you know, more league rather than, you know, yeah. Premier League. But, you know, I think, you know, for Gloucester, for Gloucester City to get there would be would be brilliant, you know, and, and hopefully when, when they sort of kick off again, then... You know they they've got the platform, haven't they, with their new ground, and and I think they just need that support um, to to kick on and and go. You know that one stage that one stage further to get into the um, into the, the conference. Well, that sort of sums us up, I think, and wraps us up for a wonderful first episode of Team Talk. What a pleasure for, for episode one. Happy yeah, mate, brilliant. Here, here again for, for another Team Talk sometime soon. If you want to get involved. Drop us a line, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll see you again.